0: Good morning. Anyong. 안녕, Daniel Ibnida. I am Daniel. Ibnida, yeah. I shortened it again. Daniel, you could leave the chun part out. Today, uh, the third thing we wanna I wanted to show us is uh Yesun Nim. Su Nim is Jesus. You wanna say that with me? Nim. Nim, yeah, like your knee with an M at the end. Neem. And then the middle word, blue word, is Nal, Nadl. Nal. Na with an L at the end. Nal, yeah, Nal. Sarang. Sarah with an NG at the end. But you say Sarah instead of Sarah, you say Sarah. Sarang. And then add the NG at the end. Sarang. Hey. Yeah, Jesus loves me. Yeah, 예수님 날 사랑해. Yeah, dude, this is the power of like the spelling. I think it's the spelling that's like working, working out. Cause you guys, cause there, if you go online and you read the um, romanticized, you know, versions, the spelling, I could, even I couldn't like read it. You know, the, the English romanticization. But with my little tweaks, it's working. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I just wanted to uh, start with a quick update and a couple of corrections. One update is that uh, we made a change in our teaching schedule. Um, I will only be teaching till week six. Mark, uh, yeah, the Gospel of Mark. Someone else whose uh, straps... I'm unworthy to untie. Uh, he, someone will be coming in uh, to teach week seven through 12 of the Gospel of Mark, And uh, I, this change has been made so that um, I could go downstairs um, and teach on uh, witnessing. Um, if you're interested, it's a, you know, under the course of practical theology, uh, they've assigned me to teach on witnessing so we could see the fruit of that witnessing while um, in my one year of interning here. So if you're interested in that, please come downstairs. Come and follow me, and I will make you, what? Become fishers, fishers of fishers of men, yes. I know one other correction. I was listening to the audio file that was uploaded onto the website last week, and I, I know I said that God, admire, God admires us secretly, uh, but I was remiss to say that uh, God revealed to us his love. You know, it's, uh, it isn't secretive anymore. He has sent his son, um, uh, and I didn't want anyone in attendance um, or le- listening online um, leaving here thinking that Christians hold some kind of secret knowledge that the world doesn't know. Um, it is made very apparent the veil, the veil is torn into two, and um, the Christian life isn't uh, therefore like the response is that the Christian life isn't one to be spent in isolation, although many try to do that. If the event that the crucifixion um, occurred in the woods, in the dark forest, then I would understand that that would give some kind of leeway why it could be spent in isolation. But Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, um, those things were public, and so his return will also be public. So... Uh, that's the gospel that we share and we boast in, and Christ that we boast of, so our people will be edified, equipped, and perfected. Yeah. All right, let's read Mark. We're uh, going to read Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 35 through chapter 2, uh, 17. I will read from the ESV. If you have another translation that's totally cool, uh, we will read... If you follow behind me on the screen. Chapter 135, the Bible says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns so that I may preach there also. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. They came, bringing to him a paralytic carried carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, Let me pray. Our gracious Father, we we praise you for who you are. You are faithful. You are healer. You call the sinner who cannot help or save himself or herself. You regenerate us and perfect us as you finish what you start. As we read and learn and hear what the gospel is, more about what your Son has done on our behalf. Help refine our views and increase our knowledge of why we need to trust in your Son, Jesus. Now and forevermore, to your praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, good morning once again. Good morning. Uh, uh, we are going to look at the big picture um, on the first eight chapters of Mark. It is, uh, We're still answering the question, who is Jesus? It is uh, one thing we learn about Jesus. He is a man of prayer. We wish we would have more time to pray, um, Jesus here makes time to lean on his Father early in the morning before sunrise. Jesus does this before he goes out to preach in the synagogues. Um, he prays to uh, the Father before he goes out to cast demons. And when the disciples ask him in Mark chapter 9, that's later on, why they could not cast out the demons, uh, why they could not cast out the unclean spirit uh, possessing this boy. Jesus responds, and, uh, that only unclean spirits are driven out by prayer. Only, um, I asked my Korean mother uh, why she goes out to pray at the church um, almost every morning. There's a prayer service at uh, five five a.m. or five thirty. Uh, she says she, the church gathers uh, due to this one verse thirty-five because Jesus woke up early in the morning. Um, I was maybe four or five years old. She would wake me up out of bed to accompany her to these uh, prayer services. I'm sitting in the pews, dozing off, um, listening to the the hymnals being sung and not understanding a lick of that. And then afterwards, there's a short sermon and then a time of prayer. They still gather today, and it stuck with me till my later adult years, um, even into my adult life, when I felt like praying, if I was too sleepy at home, I would get up and go to church just down the street to because I knew they would be open at five thirty a m Jesus prioritized prayer. we learn from this that he balanced the ministry of word, preaching, and prayer he with uh, the ministry of deed, healing, and touching, um, and saving. Uh, This integration is very important because people believe the message of the gospel, uh, the good news, as they saw word and deed uh, being done together. In verse 38, um, when Peter says, Everyone is looking for you we see how Jesus wanted to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. Um, he didn't want to, to make this place the center of influence um, where everyone would look for him, but he wanted to go out and uh, consider the uh, more grassroots type of ministry. He did not want to minister just to one group, but to all groups. And even the most skeptical person who does not want to believe in Jesus Uh, might be intrigued to hear more about who Jesus is. Jesus had traveled so far that a leper runs into him. The term leprosy denotes a variety of deforming and often fatal uh, skin diseases and disorders. In Leviticus chapter 13, Moses, uh, he receives the laws about leprosy here. Um, I apologize if the font is too small, but... I'll read it uh, quickly. Aaron, the priest, had to examine the swellings and hairs of a person. When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the body of his skin, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his uh, sons of the priest. The priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. And when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. As if calling him a leper wasn't enough, they had to add that unclean part. Lepers lived alone or with one another outside of the camp. Their garments or any articles made of skin that touched their own skin that were burned in the fire. They were... Uh, and this is sad to say they were as good as dead they did not have that many years left to live and we know uh, maybe not lepers but some who are in this situation being healthy or being cured uh, was on par was on par with raising some a dead person back to life and i don't say this uh, for dramatic effect but i say that i say this because this leprosy was such a dreadful disease, it was practically um, incurable. And that hope, the hope for the leper's healing, and the hope uh, maybe uh, his parents or his friends were the only ones you know, holding on to the resurrection for, his, for him to be fully cured. I say that because Leviticus 14 does talk about the laws of cleansing lepers. If they were to be healed... They would have to come be cleansed to reenter society. The priest took for him, uh, and, and there are so many steps in these 57 verses. Uh, I couldn't list them all, but the first few verses tells us that the priest would take two you know, clean living birds, um, and then these specific elements, and then they'd, he'd kill one of the birds over fresh water. In the second part of that, uh, it talks about if you were too poor, uh, they had a financial aid, um, like an assistance program. And if you read Leviticus 14 uh, later on, you'll see that uh, there were uh, practices on how to clean, clean the house of a leper. But in Leviticus 7, the law strictly forbade anyone from touching the human uncleanness. Um, or, and if he did, he would be cut off from the people. So there is a punishment Uh, for someone who wanted to extend uh, his hand. Who is Jesus? He is very aware of these ceremonial rites, but he still goes on to touch the leper, and then he commands the leper to be clean. In the Greek behind me, it says katharizo, and if you see in that black box, it's it's in the imperative voice. Jesus is commanding the man to be clean. I would naturally think that uh, when you and I are suffering, the last thing, the ultimately the ultimate last thing we want to hear from our doctors is a command to be recovered. right? But here Jesus is knowing that he himself would be cut off from all society touching the leper stretching out his arm and healing him. Commanding him to be healed. This kind of, this rather points me to what does Jesus know about the leper that that we do not know? Yes, we can make a point on how the great exchange of the gospel is here, in word and deed. Jesus reaches out an outcast so that he might re-enter society and Jesus trades places and comes to be cast out of society. However, the leper, yes, that is good, but the leper here was not in need of just new skin or someone to scratch all the itches away, but he also needed, a, needed an emotional fill. Jesus knew that this man was relationally starved for so long. And so he provides both. He deliberately breaks the yoke of ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system that, that weighed heavily on the sick. Uh, they were called unfit to worship God. And here Jesus heals them and lifts the burdens of the laws and makes them obsolete. Praise God. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, or is it heifer? heifer? Thank you, heifer. Sanctify for the purification of the flesh. You know, how much more will the blood of Christ you know who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our consciences from dead works to serving the living God Jesus heals the unclean and lifts the burdens of these laws he now the leper no longer lives under the shadow of this i mean this heavy shadow of the law with all of its washings and its uh, sacrifices uh, but it is Christ so this is I know I titled this um, "Jesus, our, the Leper, and Our Priest." Uh, I wanted to highlight, I wanted to show you that because the next par, next uh, pa- section, I wanted to talk about the paralytic and our and our prophet. Doing good is is as we may or may not know. Do, just doing good works is not the whole of Christianity, um, and and teaching is. Not the whole of Christianity. We really have to find a balance. And, and Jesus knew that uh, and he, he exemplified it much more perfectly than we will. But if we need another reminder this morning, it is in Christ uh, that uh, we are saved by what Jesus did, you know, by what he's done. We hear the message of what he's done uh, so that we in order for us to believe it, believe him. So in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Four friends take a paralytic to Jesus, but as soon as the man is set down, Jesus observes their faith and does something uh, pretty surprising. Uh, It wasn't even his paralysis to go away. It was first his sins to be removed. When Jesus sees their faith, he is moved to forgive his sin. And I take away from that that For Jesus, um, us uh, being right with God is 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 more vital than our physical health. Uh, When you and I suffer illnesses or material distress or any other trouble, the most important result would be to make for Jesus uh, to make us right uh, in uh, standing before God. Not literally, because this paralytic could not stand, not yet anyway, but Jesus takes care of something the paralyzed man deeply wanted. It was his sin to be removed, moved. The paralytic couldn't move, but he wanted his sin removed. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. The paralytic, we might point out that he didn't ask for forgiveness of his sin. So why would Jesus go there? Uh, I would say Jesus perceives what is on the heart of the paralytic as he, a few verses later, perceives what is in the heart of the scribes of the Pharisees. The paralytic came to receive physical healing but it resulted in more. <clears throat> he becomes right with God by the forgiveness of his sins. All of his bad, evil thoughts, words, and deeds are cleansed. This is the thing about when you and I befriend others who are non-Christians. They, might, they may want to receive the forgi- forgiveness that you and I have received. They may want what we have. But they may not know where to start. Or on our side, from our, in our perspective, we may not know that they have a smidge of that desire to be forgiven. And so what we take from this is that Jesus reads the heart of the most inarticulate, the most inexpressionless, and is not shying away from granting forgiveness and he and he and he brings brings them on brings them in how does the spirit apply to you and i the redemption purchased by christ let us this morning be reminded and reassured then it is the spirit applying the redemption purchased by christ it is the spirit working Faith and united, uniting us to Jesus in an effectual calling. An effectual calling will bring us to our last point. Mark chapter 2, verses 6 through 12, also shows us who does not want that effectual calling, who does not want forgiveness. The scribes, religious leaders, are realizing that Jesus presupposes that he is God, the only one who forgives sins. And so they want to charge him of blasphemy. Blasphemy is when one would take upon himself the rights of God. Jesus claiming to be a deity is making them angry. Why? It makes them angry because... It would make us angry because when someone breaks the law, uh, he or de- he or she deserves to pay the penalty. My car got towed a week ago, and I deserve to pay x amount of dollars. The only way I could be free from paying that penalty is if the city of Richmond three one one would forgive me and not hold me liable to pay the price. It would mean it doesn't mean that no one would pay the price it would mean that the city would take care of it that the city would pay the price cover the cost so in this picture the guilty is freed meaning that the court will have to then lose a hundred some odd dollars they would have to pay the price jesus acts here as the court he pardons the guilty he knows that there will be something losing on his part. He forgives the paralytic sin, um, not just one of those sins, but all of, this, all of his sins and all of our sins. All of our past and present and future wrongdoings are covered because Jesus will hold, be held accountable for them. He, he claims them as his own. And so in Christ, we are guiltless. Jesus... In his own authority, is forgiving the paralytic's sin. The scribes in the room did not like that. Still, Jesus heals. He 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 raises the paralytic, and forgives him. He demonstrates the divine authority, uh, his divine over his divine authority over the um, external and internal life of this paralytic. The scribes and our king here. To wrap us all around, and I'm still basing this off of effectual calling. We learned what effectual calling was, I think, week one. So by the sea, Jesus calls a tax collector, Levi. From there, Jesus goes on to sit and eat with many other tax collectors and sinners and his disciples, who are also sinners, and the scribes of the Pharisees, who are also sinners. But it is here the scribes of the Pharisees ask, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? I don't know if they included themselves in that. This time they asked out loud, so that Jesus didn't have to perceive in their thoughts. We could all hear them. Jesus, like a king does, defends his people. He conquers all of his and our enemies, executing the office of a king. He tells them, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So, for a moment, putting being empathetic to the Pharisees, we could think that the men and women following Jesus were just followers, but not repentant. They were unrepentant followers. It is possible to follow Jesus for a while, for a little while, a long while, without repenting. But those who follow Jesus without repentance, um, uh, I think the Pharisees were under the impression that, yeah, this, uh, these men have joined his mission to proclaim that, yes, this guy we follow is the forgiver of sins without repenting ourselves. And so Jesus is making sure here that he did not call people to follow him without repentance because there would be no difference between him and the scribes if that were the case. The repentant followed Jesus because it was the standard, the status quo. Jesus created and he creates a new community of forgiven men and women. Keyword, forgiven. On the Harvard College Admissions website, a prospective applicant will see That not Jesus is calling, but the future is calling. Um, What admissions criteria does Harvard use? Um, They explicitly say that there is no formula for gaining admission. But they add academic accomplishment in high school is important, but we also consider community involvement, leadership, and distinction in extracurricular activities and personal qualities and character. And then on the bottom it says, the applicant's strength of character, their ability to overcome adversity and other personal qualities gets you in to Harvard. For the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus is on that admissions board. He is admitting anyone who admits that he or she is morally sick. We are the applicants admitted and admittedly. So we are moral mess-ups. That's how we got in. The self-righteous do not admit that. Oops, sorry. Why do not the self-righteous admit? Because it goes. maybe it goes against our own consciences, to confess that they need a savior. Maybe it goes against their own moral compass or code to admit that they need help. The sick are touched. Jesus touches the leper. The men and women unable to save themselves have been forgiven. This is why one might say that we are saved by the grace of God. The king excludes the excludes the religiously proud. And he senses, yet at the same time, he senses the inarticulate, the spiritually humble, the man whose heart moves so slightly, towards forgiveness, and Jesus rewards him. He's a king of compassion, and Jesus knows that mostly the religious who do follow him stop following him when they learn what real Christianity is. That is why, uh, dear saints, the gospel is so important. And it's so important to finish this uh, lecture. We have a love-hate relationship with our bodies and, and our souls. We fail to take good care of our bodies, and sometimes we really try hard to, um, and yet we, we struggle. We gratify our flesh at times we don't want to. So I want to point us to Christ our prophet, priest, and king. And we want to look at his appearance. Um, In Isaiah 53, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. This might be speaking of the Messiah to come. Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. His beauty was the least nothing to render our desire, and still, his bar- and still his body was marred. Isaiah fifty two fourteen. it was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He, in Isaiah 53, continues to talk about Jesus' body and soul, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was hated, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has uh, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows; yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That smitten by God, that touches on some who believed, like Job's friends, who believed that he was going through all that, you know, all that pain and suffering because he was under God's, you know, pun. He was being punished by God. But God's word takes care of that. He he says, yeah, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, upon Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. To close this, I just wanted to remind us of the gospel, the good news. It wasn't a mat that carried Jesus up or brought down from a roof of someone's house. It was a Roman cross that that brought him up and, and, and exalted him or pretty much humiliated him in front of all people to see. The dimensions of the cross are unknown. We don't know how tall Jesus was. We don't know how heavy Jesus was. Because I hope that gives us a sense of relief for us who are struggling and who don't like our bodies, ourselves. It doesn't mention how many pounds Jesus weighed, but we do know this. Jesus' body was diseased worse than that of the leper. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wrongdoings, and upon him was that was our punishment. And from looking at him, the stripes on his body, the whippings of the cat and nine tails, the stripes on his body brought us peace. And because... Of that, we are healed when we trust him. Who is Jesus? Um, he is the forgiver of sins, and the purpose of his mission was to accept the unacceptable. And he rises again. He did not stay dead, my friends. The stone was rolled away, and the dimensions of the tomb, the opening of the mouth of the cave was, or the tomb, is not also, is not mentioned. So we don't know how big Jesus was or how, how small Jesus was, but he still broke through. The point of that, saying that we here will receive new bodies, an imperishable body, and of course, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that of course we should all know, but I meant I'm happy that this happens. Jesus' resurrection tells us that he was sinless, that he was justified, and that the Holy Spirit raised him out of the grave. And anyone here will also be announced, proclaimed guiltless and clean on the day that he returns. All right. To uh, just start off with the questions, Mark, why so immediately? Eutheos in the common Greek means immediately, or in Strong's Strong's concordance, it means at once or soon. And Mark might not appreciate hearing this, uh, but his is the most... Mark is the most inelegant uh, in terms of style in, among the other gospels. His his beginning is very abrupt. His ending is, they say, it's even more abrupt. But what Mark is trying to do is he, he he's getting to the he's going fast to the climax. And I appreciate Pastor uh, Sparky to uh, telling me that he doesn't use and immediately after Mark chapter fourteen. So Mark is trying to. Established that the murderous intents of jesus 's enemies at an early point, the evangelist Mark is managing to to cast this whole story of jesus's life under the gloom of the cross, and um, yes, he does lack subordinate clauses and similar signs of uh, stylish smoothness uh, that are like his other guys, um, but Mark is a rough and ready gospel which points which kind of makes us, the reader of Mark, understand that, one, he wants us to know immediately who Jesus is, that there is a sense of crisis in his style, in his voice, um, that history is not a closed system or natural, of natural causes anymore. Human system, tradition, or authority is not inevitable or absolute anymore. And secondly, Mark wants us to see that Jesus' arrival Renders or warrants a decisive action. He, by us reading, we are now carrying the sense of okay. I need to respond, like affirmatively and decisive. Decide: uh, Will I repent? Will I will I believe and will I follow? Uh, because there's no more excuses here. There's no more um, sitting around and reflecting on whether I am going to follow him or not. I hope that adequately uh, answers question from last week on why Mark is so fast or terse. Any other questions? If there's no questions, I'll pray for us before we go to worship service. Yes. Gracious Father, um, we thank you for who you are. God, we are, we admit that it is uh, difficult to, to be your people and to at times be representatives of this gospel that called us to uh, proclaim it, preach it, share it. But God, you give us also, um, you, you come under us and you serve us, you wash our feet and you reassure us that you're interceding for us, that you're praying for us, and you uh, execute the offices of priest, prophet, and king so perfectly. And Lord, with that, God, it motivates our hearts to be reordered and to serve a living and true God, God, you uh, would you give us a new and fresh, renewed heart to do so, and so that, like the paralytic who got up, the leper who was healed and re-entered, uh, that others may glorify you by um, seeing how amazing you are. Remove all the obstacles that prevent us from doing so, and Give us the uh, again. Remind us that we do have a, the Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts to to um, to to proceed and to to live, um, balancing the ministry of word and deed, like your Son did. We pray for the strength and that we would find rest in our in our sonship in our in our daughtership, and that we are adopted into the family of Christ of God. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.